Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A great top 10 today. Our guest is Eric Singer, an amazing drummer, friend, currently on pause with the End of the Road Tour of KISS. He was a recent cover uh, of Modern Drummer, January uh, 2020, and he's going to share with us his top 10. Welcome, Eric. Hi, David. Hi, Modern Drummer people. Hi, drummers and whoever's listening in. So let's talk about, you, you shared with me that you want to talk about your top 10 records and I know it was hard for you to nail down 10, but we'll start with that. Top 10 records that influenced you during your formative years as a young up-and-coming drummer. Right. Um, of course, I don't have a top 10. I probably have a top 100. And I, I've always taken the attitude that you you literally can learn from everybody or anybody. You can see, a, I remember going to clubs as a kid and seeing a drummer playing and going, wow, that guy's really good, or I like the way he plays you know, a certain technique or a certain physical style or just the way they their feel or sound. So it had nothing to do with whether somebody was famous or not. I, I always believe you can learn from everybody. So that being said, I think everybody has a formative time frame or timeline when you really start to become like your ultimate sponge, if you will, to really start absorbing and trying to access everything and anything you can. And the disadvantage we had in my era, of course, which was like the early 70s, say late 60s and through the early to mid 70s was my formative years. You only had basically magazines, records, which became eventually eight tracks or cassettes and live concert experiences. And occasionally some of your favorite bands or artists might be on in concert or um Midnight Special or one of those, or maybe one of the daytime talk shows or something, Johnny Car or Johnny Carson. Mm -hmm. So it was very far and few between opportunities to really access a lot of information. So you had to really basically get into the records. So that's what I'm using as my basis for my formative years inspiration, if you will. The records in that time frame that really impacted me. There's so many others I could probably name and so many drummers that will probably maybe be left off of today's list only because we're kind of focusing in on a particular period, if you will. Okay. So um, I'd say Number the records, 10. I'll start, I'll just, this will be in no random, it's okay. just a random order, no specific, this is not like number one through 10 or favorite drum or anything like that. Okay. It's just drummers and the records of how they influenced me. So I'll start off with 
a big one for me is uh, the first Montrose album with the Danny drummer Carmassi. Denny Carmassi. Yeah. And uh, Denny, still to one of my favorite biggest influences as a drummer. Um, Denny obviously came out of the John Bonham school. You know, he set up very similar, you know, one rack, two floors, big bass from 26. Um, very, you know, he clearly modeled and patterned himself after that John Bonham school of drumming. Um, ironically, you know, I learned to have a little history on some of the drummers on some of these records. That was the first record that Denny Carmasi ever appeared on as well. And did and, you um, hear Carmasi before you heard Bonham and then put it together that he was influenced no, by him? No, no. Bonham came first because, you know, obviously the first Zeppelin album, which we'll get to Zeppelin. That's on the list, of course, as well. One of the records, I should okay. say. Okay. So by the time you found Carmasi, you were familiar with Bonzo and you could see instantly that here's somebody who's heavily influenced by him. And it was clearly, playing on that record kind of Bonham like it was a little more progressive. Well, I think if you listen to Rock Candy, that clearly, and you hear the Ted Templeman is the one that produced that album. Mm. And Ted Templeman, of course, is famous for, or as to most people, for producing Van Halen. Well, supposedly the story goes that Van Halen, they loved Montrose, Eddie and Alex and all those guys, and they got Ted Templeman to, to produce them because of that Montrose album. Oh. So they really liked that sonically the, the tones if you will okay but you can clearly hear denny carmasi's bonham influence on the song rock candy the opening drum fell uh drum beat i should say and um like i said he played a big 26 inch kick drum i don't know if that's what he was playing on that record obviously on some of these things we don't know the specs right. of what they played in the studio on those given recording situations but Throughout the record, Denny, I love Denny's style because uh, he he played a very, I don't want to say busy, I call it more like a melodic approach. So he played a lot of stuff and a lot of licks, but they were always in the context of the song, in the context of the groove, which is important. I always feel that if you can keep the pulse and the groove happening throughout not just the beat, but when you do a fill, I think you need to make sure you try to remember, keep the feel and the groove, play your fills with that same way you're approaching playing the time. And if you, that gives it a kind of a seamless continuity, if you will. And um, Denny, definitely great feel, great sound, and great chops and licks. He played a lot of cool stuff on all the Montrose records. I mean, I'm citing this album. But I love every, I mean, he's one of those drummers, which will be the case on many of these records. Many times I'd say, well, I like anything with Denny Carmasi on it because I love the way he plays drums. He's a big influence to me. But that record is what started it off, and that's the one, the main one. All right, so what's the next one? John Bonham, or Led Zeppelin II. Mm. Wow. One well, of those records you never forget the first time you hear that record. Yeah, well, the first Zeppelin album came out and everyone was like, bam, it hit you in the head. And you're like, wow, listen to this band. It's like you, you, you didn't hear a band that sounded like that. There's bands that were doing that thing. Obviously, the Jeff Beck group with Rod Stewart and Ronnie Wood on bass. And uh, the original Jeff Beck group was the precursor to Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin just took that kind of model and did it better. Um, and... 
you know, they took the world by storm and it's undeniable the minute you hear it. But the first song had some basically like cover versions and blues of blues songs. And it's an amazing record. But obviously, by the time they got to Zeppelin II, they were a well-oiled machine and they kind of had set touring. the template for what... Pardon me? They had been touring and they were really... Well, and together. they also had set... The, the template was set. Right. The, the model. And right. so now they were... I, I just think the sound is better of that record. It's just... It's, to me, so heavy. And we're not talking about heavy in a heavy metal sense or detuning. It has a lot of weight, that record. I mean, I always give credit to Jimmy Page as being one of the greatest producers, unsung heroes as a producer of all time. When people think of great producers, they always think of George Martin and the Beatles, you know, Bob Ezrin with Alice Cooper and, and Kiss, but of course the wall, um, Mutt Lang and, and so on. A lot of great producers, but people for some reason forget Jimmy Page produced all the Zeppelin stuff. He's one of the greatest producers ever in my book. But Bonham's drum sound is obviously maybe the, the most impactful, influential hard rock drummer or hard rock blues based hard rock drummer of all time. Um, you see it played out in so many bands throughout um, after him, not just drummers, but musical influences from Zeppelin. But Bonham clearly influenced so many and to this day, so many generations of drummers. It's just he had the he had that swing and that feel to his playing. You know, um, you know, you got to remember all these drummers and a lot of the ones that I'm going to cite. They created what we now know as hard rock or heavy metal, not heavy metal, but whatever hard rock drumming. These guys were influenced by jazz drummers. They just took what jazz drummers were doing and had a you know went to bigger drums, bigger sticks, heavier hitting, and they kind of created a new thing yeah and moby dick was on led zeppelin too right mm -hmm. so all of a sudden here's a drum solo and kind of became his calling card especially live so bonham john bonham led zeppelin too so what's the next one machine had deep purple ian pace another one of those major influence drummers um and you can clearly hear again he's another prime example of a guy that transitioned the jazz drumming influence into a hard rock blues based context. Um, you can hear the Buddy Rich stuff in his drumming clearly with his, you know, rudimental snare chops approach to stuff. And uh, I think I like that album because I think that's their pinnacle album. You know, of course, Smoke on the Waters on that album, which is to some people, they if they never hear it again, they'll be fine. But it's, it's you know, it, yeah, it's I, a major I played it in bands when I was a kid 5,000 times. Everybody plays Smoke on the Water. But I, I also remember the first time I saw Ian Pace, and he had the three toms and like a triangle look. I had never seen that layout before. Plus, he's a left-handed drummer, right? And it just, everything about him was just really innovative. Yes, but the, 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 tri tri the triangle thing, I think Leonard Hayes, he loved obviously Ian Pace. Leonard Hayes, who used to play drums with uh, Y&T, he did that at one point. But, you know, the early days, uh, Ian Pace was playing the typical one-up, two-down setup. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, there's that cool song, um, was it, off a of Fireball? Um, the one with the double bass intro. Um, 
And he played that on some people used to when we were kids because you didn't have any video. You went by records, and everybody said, "Oh, he did that with one foot." Um, he didn't do it with one foot. There's an old video. If you look on YouTube, you can look it up. He, there, it's a black and white video. And before they play um, the song, the roadie comes out and brings another bass drum out and sets it up next to him so he can play the the song with the double bass. Very cool to watch. Wow, the bass drum sitting cool. in the back, of, kind of behind the get kit, and the guy brings it up and puts it in place so he can play the play that song. It's really cool. double bass. And so, what song is it? Do you remember? I think is it. Um, is it Fireball? But it's on YouTube and Deep Purple. It sounds like a you hear like a machine stuff like number four. Spectrum Billy Cobham. Spectrum Billy Cobham. Now let me tell you, it's quadrant four. Is that the song on first song with the double bass? Yeah. I I remember music stores. In Boston, where I'm from, I'd go to the used record stores, which is which were packed, and because it was around Berkeley and New England Conservatory, where, and I went to NEC, so everybody was a musician standing in the store, and they'd play, you know, they'd always play a record, right, all day long. The record stores are playing a record, and they when they put that on for the first time, um, that I had ever heard it certainly, and it seemed like most people in the store, the entire store froze and listened and was just in amazement at what they were hearing. What was your experience with, with Spectrum and Billy Cobham? You know, there's certain people that come along and we call them game changers. You know, the guys that really, you know, like a Jimi Hendrix or an Eddie Van Halen, those guys are for guitars. They're game changers. They came along and they're doing something you hadn't heard before. Obviously they have their influences. And I tell you, I tell everybody, Everybody has their own soup, and you got to do the same thing as a drummer. You know, everybody's making their own chicken soup for, it's a good metaphor, example. And you take all your influences, you throw them in a pot, and then that becomes David. David Frangioni is your own soup. Eric Singer is his own soup. And it's, it's drawn upon the ingredients of all these influences that you've thrown into your little recipe, if you will. Obviously, you could tell that everybody, and we'll get to, one of my other examples, which will be Tony Williams. Tony Williams is the one that really was the game changer and set the bar. But you have to remember when you're a young kid, everything's relative to the time frame and the music that's happening at the given moment that you grow up and become very influenced, uh, influ uh, be influenced by. Tony and Williams when was you a hear it. Pardon me? And when you hear it. Well, that's what I was getting to. Right, because it doesn't Tony always Williams. come out. It comes out, but you might not hear it for six months or whenever. Well, Tony Williams, I discovered after some of the guys, because one of the other ones on here will be Lenny White. Um, those guys I discovered first, and then I started realizing, oh, it's Tony Williams. He's the guy that they were all listening to. He's the guy that they were influenced by, but they took what Tony kind of did and they did it in their own way, so it sounds so Billy Cobham sounds like Billy Cobham. But when you listen to the origin and the source that these guys based a lot of their drumming on and were influenced by, you find the the originator of it. And and the game the real game changer to me is Tony Williams. But that's something but staying that staying on spectrum. Yeah, staying on spectrum. But I was just gonna say sometimes you have to um 
discover a certain person like a Billy Cobham and then get into it, finding out where he came from, what his uh, inspirations and, and things were, and go to his origins to discover the other guys. Yeah. But first time I heard Spectrum was like, wow. I mean, the sound on that record's killer. Yeah. I think he's using Fibes acrylic drums. So the drums are very, like, a, a lot of attack, bombastic. But the the, the instrumentation of, of the band, that's where everybody first heard Tommy Bolin, who was only about 21 years old or 20 years old on that record. That guy changed fusion guitar playing. I mean, Tommy Bolin's the reason Jeff Beck ended up going into fusion into that direction. He heard that. Don't forget, Spectrum came out in 73. Blow by Blow was 1975, produced by George Martin. And a little side thing, a lot of people don't know. I know I go on little tangents, but Carmine Apiece told me that he originally did the demos was because he was playing with Jeff, with Phil Chen on bass, who's the bass player on Blow by Blow. Carmine did some of the original demos, which ended up becoming the material for Blow by Blow. I've never heard it. I'd love to hear some of those demos um, of that material with Carmine on it. But anyways, Tommy Bone was a game changer for establishing like that beginning of rock guitar players delving into jazzy influenced and what we called fusion because fusion was rock and jazz fused together to create this kind of new genre, if you will. And everybody for, seemed to go down that road. road. Uh, I mean, all the jazz greats were doing it. Herbie Hancock with Headhunters and obviously Chick Corea, Return to Forever and all those guys. You listen to the roots of all those guys. They were originally playing jazz. Miles Davis. I mean, he went really out there with some avant-garde stuff. But Cobham for drummers literally kicked it. I mean, Tony Williams might have opened the door. Billy Cobham kicked it down like a steamroller. And there, I don't even think to this day you're ever going to hear a guy that came out with such ferocity. He was a ferocious drummer. And you literally can hear it and feel it on that record. You're like, oh, my God. I mean, that record was 73. If you go back to, if you look on YouTube for those that, want to go back to his past look up 1968 horace silver and billy cobbins playing drums he's playing a little four-piece kit really cool hollywood miyazi kit with the timpani pedal floor tom and he's playing um he's set up like a right-handed drummer but he's still playing open-handed but when he plays traditional grip his right hand is played with a traditional grip here not the left but the right and he does a killer solo but he's playing jazz, like bebop and jazz style music. That's Billy Cobham. You look at him then in 68, and he's doing a lot of cool stuff. You fast forward to 73, and you're like, oh, my God, this guy. He it literally you thought he was an alien from another planet. You hadn't heard anything. you know. You, and mind you, he already was doing that in um, Mob Vision Orchestra before that. So I was aware of Billy with uh, Birds of Fire um, and you know the uh, Mob Vishnu stuff. But it's Spectrum that made me go, wow. You know, it, it, was, it had such a wow factor still to this day. And he influenced, I mean, you wouldn't have a Dennis Chambers, I don't think, if you didn't have Billy Cobham. You wouldn't have Simon Phillips if you didn't have Billy Cobham. You listen to Simon, his drumming so inspired and influenced by Billy Cobham. And it's, I think it, it's directly from, you know, you listen to Space Boogie on Jeff Beck there and back. That's clearly from Quadrant Four influence no doubt 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Amazing. So, next record. Um, okay, since I mentioned Simon Phillips, um, obviously, Simon's one of those guys that I can, I would buy every record I could because just, I'd buy records with, with just because he was the drummer on it. Yeah. Um, example, Me there's too. a record called um, El Shankar, which was Bobby Shankar's, I think, son or whatever, played violin. There's a record on, it's on Zappa Records called El Shankar. I think it's called Don't or Touch Me There. Simon plays drums on it. Frank Zappa produced the record and even plays on it. Really cool stuff. But the record for Simon that I'm most influenced by is Michael Schenker Group, the first Michael Schenker solo album with Simon on drums. Wow. I mean, Simon obviously is more, especially now, Simon's really like more a jazz purist, if you will. If you go see his own band, Jazz. He doesn't really care about rock. Not that he won't play it. He does sessions, and because he's a session guy, he's you know he's what they call a yo cat. You know, there's the yo cats. He's one of them. But Simon's, you know, his, his heart lies in jazz and fusion stuff. But he's one of those guys when he plays rock. A lot of jazz guys can play rock because um, from a, from a say a physical or technical side of it. But feel wise, some of them don't really have the oomph and the power, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Simon. Simon is one of those guys that can play it and, like, kill it, you know. And the Michael Shanker on that first album, listen to that drumming. Not only is it a great sound, but his feel, all the licks and approaches, it's like he's so musical, but yet it's great. And he, well, the thing I love about it, he's not just playing, like, fusion-y jazz chops in a rock contest. He's playing rock licks. But he, he definitely gets his licks in and then, you know, but in such a complimentary, um, uh, tasteful way. Mm -hmm. Simon, to me, is one of the best. He's one of the best. I He's one him. of my all-time faves. You yeah. can't deny him. The guy's phenomenal. He is. He's absolutely amazing. All right, so after Simon, why don't we jump to Tony? Because you talked about him a minute ago. Okay, Tony Williams. Now, obviously, I'm aware of going back now and looking at all the early stuff he did. You know, he started playing with Miles at 17 years old. Everybody, anyone that knows his history. I mean, the guy was a prodigy, phenom, amazing. But the thing I always liked about Tony, Tony, to me, was the real first fusion crossover drummer. He's the one that first kind of experimented into that stuff. Obviously, he did it with his Tony Williams lifetime. He had Alan Holdsworth in his band. He always would do stuff. He had Ronnie Montrose in his band before. He always loved rock. And, you know, I, I dug Tony because he was a great, amazing bebop and classic jazz drummer. But 
he understood and had a real appreciation for pop and rock as well. Um, I remember when he did a clinic in LA once, he, Bob Daisley, the famous bass player to play with Rainbow and all the Ozzy records, Bob was staying with me and Tony Williams called him up and asked him to play with him for a clinic because he was doing some, you know, fusion interpretations of, of uh, Beatles. And um, he's one of those guys that really got it and understood rock and pop and how he could fuse them together. He's, the, to me, the originator of fusion drumming, really. I mean, there's other guys like Alphonse Muzan and Billy Cobham and all the other guys that kind of did it as well. But it, when I listen to them, I clearly, you know, you, you learn to have not only an appreciation, but you have a have a better understanding and can see the connection to the source. Tony's the source. But the a record, record that I love the best of Tony is Stanley Clark's first solo album. There's a song in there called Lopsy Lou, and it's great, his feel, because the thing is, you can feel the time kind of getting a little scrappy and moving around. I mean, it's so... That's why I love Tony Williams, because he's not... As much as he could be very articulate and dynamic and precise, he always had a. The, the, that's what I think made him the the guy that that was the best at the fusion thing, or the, I should say, what started it because he still had that raw scrappiness to his playing and fire, which is sometimes a so that you know they say loosely tight. He was loosely tight. He kind of had, and that's something you hear people talk about with rock. It's got to be a little greasy and a little dirty. Well, that means it's not perfect. And Tony, to me, did that, you know, better than anybody. And you clearly hear his influence. Again, Cobham, Tony, Terry Bozio, big time, um, Vinny Caliuta, all the greats that we all love, You, they clearly were influenced by Tony Williams. Tony's the Tony's the man, and I I I I strongly suggest everybody to go back and you know check anything by Tony Williams, especially like Lifetime and all that stuff. But really listen Even. to that first Stanley Clark album because his drumming on that record, phenomenal. The sound is great. The scrappiness about it, I, it's awesome. Lenny White. He was a big influence after Tony Williams for you. Tell us about hearing Lenny White and what record really made its mark. Romantic Warrior, Return to Forever. Mm, wow, what a classic, iconic. That opening track with that great, you know, flaming Tom fills through the whole kit and the sound of it. That to me is an amazing sounding record. The drum sound on that record is amazing. Lenny's drumming is amazing. And you can clearly hear, obviously I didn't know it, but um, you can clearly hear that he came out of the Tony Williams school. He's another guy that played open-handed, like Billy Cobham, okay. Simon, those guys. Right. Um, I just think, you know, the drum sound. By that point, I was really getting into fusion drummers a lot. You know, Billy Cobham kind of opened the door with Return to Forever and Spectrum. But then I started getting into all the other stuff. And um, I thought... Lenny's drumming, I mean, Lenny's drumming is great, period, on anything, but it's because of the sound of that record, the mix and the tones, that's one of my favorites. Wow. And then after Lenny White, who? what was your another influence? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to skip around because Lenny came a little later. I'll go back to Beck Bogart and a piece, Carmine a piece. Was that the first time you heard Carmine? Well, I'd seen Carmine on TV, obviously, with... Uh, 
Vanilla Fudge, you know, on Ed Sullivan's show. Um, but, you know, Carmine's one of the originators and founding fathers, if you will, godfathers of heavy hard rock drumming. You know, big sound, power, great feel. Carmine always gets a good sound out of it. I mean, Carmine's one of those guys that's played many brands, like Billy Cobham, they played many brands of drums throughout their career. But Carmine always gets a great sound because it's his feel. You know, there, there's an old saying, just like with guitar players, same thing for drummers. It's the drummer, not the drums. The drums will facilitate and maybe make it more enjoyable or easier to play because of some of the technology with equipment and hardware and stuff like that but ultimately if you if you can play drums you can make anything sound good that's i think the rule of thumb but carmine's Car drumming on did, did you listen to did you ever get realistic rock as well after you heard beck bogart in a piece no no and okay. i was I, I wasn't really by that by that point i was already kind of i had already taken lessons and really was i don't want to say dumb with lessons because you're always learning but I wasn't taking formative lessons anymore. So I was into more like wanting to just play, you know, for right. on my own and wanting to go to concerts. And to me, I looked at the albums and the live experience. That was my learning tool. That was a, every time I went to a concert, I went there. And to me, that was like class. I was going to school. I was going not only to enjoy it as a spectator, I was going there because I wanted to be that. I wanted to do that. And I looked at, Every concert as a learning experience, literally. I'd get there early so I could, you know, in those days you could walk right down to the front of the stage and go look at the equipment and security or nobody bothers you. They let you do that. So it was very eye-opening and very um, inspirational to walk down, stand in front of the stage and look at all the equipment and, Amazing. you know, look at their drums and all that. It was like awe-inspiring, if you will. So but who Carmine. After Carmine, I'd say, you know, I always loved Jeff Beck. So, obviously, before that BBA, which was later, I got the Jeff Beck group records with um, Cozy Powell on drums. But the one I would cite would be Rough and Ready. Okay. Cozy's drumming is great on that. It's so good. Because Cozy, again, another hard rock drummer, big sound, powerhouse drummer, but a guy that had jazz influences you know another one of the guys that helped create what we know as hard rock drumming um he's another one of the i'd say foundational guys um and so i love dr his drumming on rough and ready great kind of funky you know a lot of syncopation in it you know he of course went on to play with rainbow michael Schenker, brian may emerson lincoln powell um, White Snake, you know, all, Black Sabbath, all the great stuff that we all know him for doing. But the first time I was aware of him, and uh, and my favorite drumming of his is still that Jeff Beck stuff. Amazing. And then who's next? The Tubes. Tubes' Prairie first Prince. album, Prairie Prince. Let me tell you, if you like Simon Phillips and that type of rock, slightly progressive drumming and great playing with a lot of great chops and great musicality to it, Get the first Tubes album, put on some headphones, and listen to Prairie Prince. Now, a lot of people don't know, before Prairie Prince joined the Tubes, he was the original drummer in Journey. Most people do not know this. Oh. Prairie was the first drummer before they did any recording. He may be on some demos that I'm not aware of, but then they got Ainsley Dunbar. 
right. And little funny connection to that. Ainsley became the drummer in the beginning. Ainsley played single bass and then went to double bass. Ainsley's foot is amazing on the early journey stuff. All the first journey, I'm all done with single kick, all that great stuff. And but the thing I wanted to tell about Prairie Prince. Ainsley was playing Heyman drums, which were an English brand, had round lugs similar to DW or early Camco. And Prairie's a great artist and would be an airbrush artist. He painted um, Ainsley's kit with a solar system, all the planets, on a big double bass kit. And I saw a journey when Ainsley was playing that kit. Prairie Prince painted those drums and they did the grill cloths and the scrims of all the Fender amps with the same planetary solar system as the drums. It would look so awesome. But Prairie's the original Journey drummer. But if you really want to listen to Prairie, in my opinion, his best drumming, because later on, the tube stuff, they started becoming more song structured with, um, you know, maybe a little more straighter ahead pop um, element. Um, but his drumming on that first album, so great. He had a big dr drum kit. You can hear all big, long. If you like big, long, bombastic tom-tom fills and stuff, great. Cool yeah, double bass stuff on it. I mean, I mean, at that time I was really into wanting to learn. I didn't get to play double bass till I turned eighteen, which would have been nineteen seventy six. So as I started hearing guys like Cobham and that Prairie Prince stuff, I, I started really. That's what made me really want to get into double bass. But what really put me over the edge um, and get in he heavy into double bass was my next record, which would be Pat Travers' "Go for What You Know," the live album with Tommy Aldridge. Tommy's the one that really influenced me the most to really want to get into double bass stuff because Tommy found a way of playing a lot of broken patterns and fills incorporating not the typical quad stuff. He did what I call quint the quintuplets where he played three beats with his feet and two on the top, yeah. but in a circular pattern. Yeah. Um, actually, if you listen to the intro to the song on that album, over what you know, makes no difference. The example I'm citing is that opening fill, the way he plays it, that's a perfect example. And he would do it in his solo, of course, as well. But Tommy's drumming on that Pat Travis album, to me, exemplifies you know how Tommy Aldridge played live. Tommy Aldridge was one of the most, and still is, one of the most exciting live hard rock drummers. He was one of the godfathers of that double bass, really taking hard rock double bass drumming to a kind of a next level thing, if you will. Oh, and yeah. um, his, his feet sounded like his hands. It was the first time I ever heard a guy play that much rhythm and, and musical statements between hands and feet. Like yeah, well, the interplay, he, right, right. He created a lot of licks that were kind of of you know incorporating more of that than any you know, rather than i said the standard quads you know right left hand right like right, right foot type thing which is very common a lot of guys were doing that back then um or just playing straight double bass pattern eighth notes or or the shuffle um with the you know the like the like quadrant four kind of billy cobham shuffle type thing he really was playing broken patterns and really incorporated it constantly in all the songs throughout the whole night very much on display on that album so i found tommy to be very inspirational um and after see i saw that tour um which was the heat in the street album tour in 78 
And, you know, I had seen it before on TV on California Jam 2 with Black Oak, Arkansas. But that was not, even though you can go check out the drum solo from 73, the song Up, with Billy, with, um, with a Tommy playing drum solo, um, that music was not as in, 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 uh, influential to me, Black Oak, of one, you know, which goes to prove context has a lot to do with how a person can really either express or showcase their drumming style. Sometimes, uh, you know, the chemistry and the fit is not ideal with a certain group of people. I thought Tommy's, to me, I mean, I've, I've seen Tommy with a lot of other bands, um, but my favorite drumming of his is still with Pat Travers because Pat Travers had a very, like, syncopated, I called it white hard rock funk. It had a funky style, very syncopated approach to allow the music. It was very riff rock but with a lot of syncopation, I thought that music lent itself to Tommy's drumming style in a perfect match. Yeah, it was. Well, thank you, Eric Singer. Your top 10 plus. Uh, so I, much I, great do, music for drummers to check out. Do I get to throw in a couple little... Uh, well, it, yes, you do, but uh, give us the, the condensed version. I'm going to give you just name albums only. Okay. You know, Captain Beyond, the band, first album, drummer, Bobby Caldwell. Like the American Ian Pace. ELP, first album, Carl Palmer, Knife's Edge, that drum solo. The guy was like 20 years old or 21. First time I heard that, I'm like, oh, my God. And go watch the early stuff of him playing you know, or anything he did, but that first ELP album, Carl Palmer, undeniable, Black Sabbath, Sabbath Buddy Sabbath, Bill Ward, you know, there's always a bunch of extra records, Ainsley Dunbar, first Journey record, um, yeah. you know, stuff, there's just so many records like that you should go and check out. If you like hard rock drumming, but with a bit of a slightly progressive thing, and another one, one of my favorite for drumming, and my favorite Steve Gadd record, everyone cites Asia, but um, Chick Corea, Leprechaun. Oh, Steve yeah. Gadd's the drummer. Yes. Wow. The whole record, you're, you will be, if you want to hear Steve Gadd, in my opinion, at his ultimate best, get Leprechaun. Amazing. And uh, Her Herbie, Herbie Hancock, Headhunters. Um, to this day, the records that Eric talked about will still inspire you. If you already know them, give them a refresh. If you haven't heard them, you got to give them a spin. And uh, thank you, Eric Singer, for being here. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe. Stay at home. Modern Drummer Top Ten. I'm David Frangioni. Mike Dawson's here behind the scenes making it all happen. Over and out. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.